0: just like to turn to Exodus 20 and uh, uh, just a little bit of explanation if you're a visitor I've been looking or started to look at the Ten Commandments over these summer months summer it is though it doesn't feel like it does it? <laughs> amazing country we live in weather wise quite incredible if I could swap April and July around it'd be great but April was wonderfully warm and, and summery And uh, it's distinctly unsummary now. But in these summer months, I'm planning to go through the Ten Commandments. Now, I feel they're they're important principles for us to look at as Christians. They're relevant to us as non-Christians or interested people who don't feel committed. There's a lot to learn out of these. And they're also one-offs, in a sense. So it does give me a liberty on what is, in funny ways, sort of broken up time with with holidays and things, to to have... an individual morning, and although it is a series of ten, and I do encourage you to listen to all ten if you haven't, if you miss one, and you probably will over the summer period, uh, nevertheless, they can be taken one at a time, dealing with significant, important subjects. Actually, I'd say in the light of this morning, subjects that God considers important. Because I say this one, the day of rest, the Sabbath, is not one that we probably normally think and talk about much at all, and possibly don't think is that important. So why has God got it at number four in his ten major uh, sort of laws or or, or principles for mankind? Just to say a little tiny bit about Ten Commandments, because of this nature of them being one-offs, you won't have been here for each talk, and I can't say it all every time, but just to say the Ten Commandments have uh, probably about a threefold purpose. They're God's way of showing us the best way to live. They do lay out creation principles that God has has shown us. They're the maker's instructions. And from them we can learn some principles about the best way to be fully rounded human beings. If we were to take heed of what God says in the Ten Commandments, it would be a healthier and happier world. There is no doubt about that. God knows what he's doing. But linked to that in a funny way, the second point is the Ten Commandments actually have a purpose of showing us that we're sinners. They show us how far short we fall of how we should be. We'd be inclined, we are inclined to think we're okay anyway. We all have that slight tendency in a way. And the Ten Commandments come like a a plumb line or come like a a sort of spirit level and they just show us how crooked we are. And when you look at them, the first three we've looked at, you think, well, how can I love the Lord my God with all my heart? And look at the last one, don't covet anything. think that's ridiculous. Well, it, all of these commandments would be easy to fulfil if we weren't sinners. Adam and Eve before the fall would have lived in ease with them. And they are an illustration of the problem we have. And so out of that second purpose comes the third one for us. They drive us to God. The Bible says they drive us to Christ, actually. The Bible says that the law drives us. It was like a schoolmaster or a tutor that leads us to Christ. And it's a, a sort of a first century picture. In a first century home that was reasonably well off, not just the wealthiest, but certainly that's what we might call middle class and upwards, there would be tutors who would look after the children. And they would really look after the children until they came of age. And they, they actually were probably quite good disciplinarians And they would take the children to their school where they learnt and were educated. And the law, in in Paul uses, and says the law is a bit like that. It's someone who takes control of us and directs us towards the answer to our problem. The answer to our problem isn't the law, it's Jesus Christ. It's grace, it's forgiveness, it's renewal, it's having a new heart and a new spirit and the law of God being fulfilled through the spirit working in our lives. And the law does that. It drives us to Christ. So that's a brief summary of what the law means and does. And we're going to try and dig around with that a bit this morning and understand it on this fourth commandment, which forms a bridge between the commandments that are focused on our relationship with God and those that are focused on a healthy social community life, which is what we move into with the later ones. So let's read Exodus 20 and verses 8 to 11, the day of rest. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, don't close your Bibles or anything because there are two versions of the Ten Commandments and in this case, this commandment, number four, is different in some detail in the other version. And I want to read that and I want you to spot the difference. Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5, and we're going to read verses 12 to 15 of Deuteronomy 5. Okay, so if you can find it without too much trouble, otherwise just listen and spot the difference. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox your donkey or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. They are as you will have perhaps observed, you can look at them even as I'm speaking for a moment, they are different in detail, slightly different. And actually, that difference and the two versions illustrate the significance and importance of this command, but also they illustrate the dilemma that it creates for us right now, 21st century Britain. Because the Sabbath has its roots in both creation And in the deliverance from Egypt. So it has a sort of two sides to it, two elements, two levels, two focuses. It is a day to remember God as creator and to remember God as redeemer. It is a covenant sign. The Sabbath is about the covenant, but it's about two covenants. There's a creation covenant, which is true for mankind, and there is a creation covenant. It's mentioned in the Bible as a covenant which God has set down with humanity about how they should live and how he, the creator of all, expects them to live. There's a creation covenant element and there is also the sign of the covenant God made with the Old Testament people of God, the Old Covenant people of God, the Mosaic Covenant, which had its focus on the deliverance from Egypt. So the first covenantal element, the creation one, which is in Exodus 20, verse 11, which I hope will go up on your screen, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now that one in Exodus where we're going to linger emphasises the creation, but the one in Deuteronomy emphasises the covenant Uh, with Israel. Deuteronomy 5.15 Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, there's several differences even in the detail. In Exodus 20 verse 11, there is an emphasis on the blessing. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day. The creation covenant has with it a sense of this is for your good. This is to bless you. God, everything God decreed is for human good. When God said don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't covet, don't lie, don't murder, he's telling us the best way to live. God wants to bless us. These laws aren't to chain us, they're to bless us. But the second one has a slightly different emphasis. The emphasis on it, it's a command that I want to establish you as my people. And uh, that comes out of the Deuteronomy passage, that the people who keep the Sabbath... Are the people who God mightily delivered from Egypt. And that was the thinking behind the Mosaic keeping of the Sabbath. Now, all through church history, this has presented a problem for Christians for 2,000 years. The whole way, it is on two levels. And it is true that Christians have gone through a spectrum of reactions, a wide spectrum. Historically, they have sometimes tried to turn Sunday into a Sabbath and try to apply Sabbatarian laws. You can't do this, you can't do that. Quite detailed about what you can and can't do. Now, the actual Jewish Sabbath is very bound up with restrictions, which you can read in the Old Testament. Things like you can't walk more than two miles, you can't pick up sticks, you can't do this, you can't do that. A a whole lot of things you shouldn't do on the Sabbath to keep you really locked in to just making it a day for God. Now, the Jews and the Orthodox Jews particularly have continued to add that element to the Sabbath so that if you were to go to Israel today or I guess to some Jewish communities elsewhere, you would find Sabbath lifts in buildings, Sabbath lifts. Anybody know what a Sabbath lift is? A Sabbath lift is specifically built and specifically put in a building to be used only on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath lift has no buttons for any floors. You walk into it and it stops automatically on every floor, so that you do no work by choosing the floor and pressing the button. That's where legalism can take you. And that's a fact They have very detailed things about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, it is hard work. It's work to press the buttons and decide which floor to get out. So this lift will take you to each floor and you get out where you want to. It's like the spirit you see in the New Testament where when the the disciples gathered some wheat in their hands and rubbed it to eat it as they're walking along, they got told off by the Pharisees. Jesus was told off, as well, by the Pharisees and Sadducees. You shouldn't do that on the Sabbath. That's reaping and uh, winnowing and, you know, eat harvesting and that's work. Now, that's what the Sabbath created, but Christians have sometimes fallen into that legalistic detail themselves quite frequently, historically. And at one end of the spectrum, they even those sort of people have thought about whether you really should keep that sort of thing on a Saturday, not a Sunday. There have been Christian groups of extremes that have gone for the seventh day as part of their Christian law. Well, that's one end of the spectrum. Of course, at the other end of the spectrum are those who totally disregard Sunday as having any speciality at all and any relevance. And those who would, in effect, live exactly like the world, down to the fact that, Gathering and worshipping on a Sunday is just an optional extra like going to sport. Something you might do once a month, you might do it more regularly than that and do it other times. And so there's no, and and actually many of us possibly have that attitude and say it's grace. Um, Now it is true we're under grace, we're going to work this morning, the next half hour we're going to work at this. This is the more tricky of the commandments to explain to you because we are under grace But actually, by sloppy thinking and sheer fleshliness, we end up looking no different to the world and thinking we're great, we're free. Have we understood what the Sabbath rest means for us? Well, let's try and do it in the next few minutes. Let's work at it. Say, what does this all mean? Because first of all, there is no doubt we are not in the old covenant. We are in the new covenant, praise God. And old covenant rules do not apply to us unless they are specifically repeated in the new covenant. That is why we don't get in a sweat about whether we can plant two different sorts of plants in our garden or in our farms or wear clothes mixed with two sorts of things. All the stuff you'll find in detail in Leviticus, most of us don't go around uh, sort of checking each other for red spots and things. So actually we don't live And we don't have a priesthood and all the rest of it. We don't live under the Old Covenant. We live in the New Covenant. And the New Covenant has fulfilled what the Old Covenant was trying to do, that's bring righteousness, and has gone way beyond it. Way beyond it. And we need to see how does that apply to us. The New Covenant people of God are the Jesus people. They are the people who belong to Jesus Christ, whether they're Jew or Gentile. It's not about your race, it's not about your class, it's not about your background, it's about your faith. Are you a Jesus person? Have you put faith in Jesus Christ? Whatever creed you came from, whatever race you come from, whatever nation you come from, whatever class you come from, you can be one people in Jesus Christ. And the issue is, do you belong to Jesus or not? That is the issue of the new covenant. And those who do belong to Jesus are God's people of the new covenant. The people God is dealing with today or using today, if I might put it that way, to bring his message to the world are the new covenant people of God. That's the one that matters and it's all focused around Jesus Christ. So let's work at this commandment in the sort of two levels in which it's at. Let's talk first of all about redemption because actually this is taking what I've previously described as the second level first. It's the redemptive level and then we'll come to the creation level later. So this is more about the covenants, if you like. So first of all, we're looking at redemption. Now, as I've already said, in the new covenant, the old covenant laws do not apply to us unless they are specifically repeated for us. Okay? So, that's a principle. Now, let's look at a few directions we get from our New Testament. First thing, Jesus emphasised the creation side of the Sabbath. It's very clear that Jesus was already, although he was in a sense in the Old breaking through and producing the new. He was a very unique person at every level, not only the Son of God, the Saviour of the world, but he was, as it were, transitioning the world from one covenantal area to another. But Jesus clearly, as God manifest in the flesh, emphasised the creation side of the Sabbath. He actually attacked the choking legalism that had turned the whole thing into a burden of petty rules. And he emphasised its purpose was to bless men and women and to bring them rest. And a particularly clear example of that is in the passage, I think is going to go up your screen, which I will read to you as it's in front of you from Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. It's the incident I told you about. The Pharisees said to him, "'Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath?' He answered, "'Have you never read what David did "'when he and his companions were hungry and in need?' In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, this is Jesus, the Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now there's a major point being made there, which the New Testament begins to pick up. Jesus is what it's all about. So when you're looking at things, we focus everything around Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And he said that actually the principle of creation is that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It wasn't to be a burden, it was to be a blessing to people. And that's one of the emphases we pick up from Jesus. The second point to be made is that there has been a greater deliverance for us than the deliverance from Egypt. We do not look back to Egypt in any way under the new covenant. The deliverance from Egypt is inspiring for faith. It has got typology for us. You know, we can learn things, but we actually don't look back to that. We look back to a greater deliverance. And that greater deliverance was when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We don't look back to the, when the Red Sea parted, particularly. We look back to when Jesus rose from the dead, victorious, and made, a, a, if you like, a, a fool of the devil and, his, and, and our enemies, who broke them, just like Egypt's power was broken, just like the Egyptians were, were washed up dead on the beach. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he dealt with our enemies and he set us free. And it was a mighty deliverance, of which the first one was but a type, was but a picture, but just a physical picture of the great thing that was coming. Now, actually, we looked at that when I did some typology preaching a year or two ago, and about the cloud, and you remember the Red Sea being a bit like baptism and all that. But, but actually, that's an important principle. And so we have to realise that our deliverance is nothing to do with Egypt. The day we celebrate for our deliverance and New Covenant is more appropriately the day Jesus rose from the dead, when liberty from sin's guilt and sin's power was declared by the living God as available to all who put their faith in Jesus. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you can do that. And you can know freedom from sin, you can know the deliverance from guilt and from the power of sin a whole change and forgiveness. Satan doesn't need to have you as his plaything any longer. You can belong to Jesus and be his part of his family, his people. Now, that wonderful deliverance tends to be focused on the first day of the week in the New Testament. So, two examples, and I could give you more. Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. You thought I was long enough. Kept on talking until midnight. Now, actually, before we go to the next verse, I might even do this when we break bread. If you look at John's Gospel, chapter 20, you will see quite an emphasis on the first day. It was the first day of the week that those women went to the tomb and met Jesus. The first day of the week in the evening that that Jesus appears to the disciples. Thomas missed it. And it's actually a whole week later that Jesus comes to see Thomas on the first day of the week again. And that's the day when they encountered the risen Jesus. And it seems very clear that the early church began from the beginning to treat the first day of the week as the day to celebrate their deliverance and to meet with Jesus. And it became called the Lord's Day. So in Revelation 1, verse 20, we get a reference to it. On the Lord's Day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So in our New Testaments, there is already, not just church history, but in our Bibles, a recognition that we gathered on the first day of the week, and we called it the Lord's Day, and that was the day we worshipped Jesus on together. Now... Those days were not Sabbath day. They are never, ever made into Sabbaths. No one gives us details and rules about what we can and can't do on the Lord's day. And indeed, the society at that time would not have allowed you to. Most of these people would be slaves or working normally and they gathered in the evening of the first day of the week, by and large, as best you can judge from the reading in the Bible. There is little teaching then in the New Testament about anything to do with the Lord's day. And we accept this is God's revelation to us. If it ain't in here, he doesn't want you to do it. And so he doesn't say, on the Lord's day you shouldn't walk more than two miles. He's quite capable of saying that. He did it in the Old Testament, did it with Leviticus. He could have given us a Leviticus in the New Testament. He didn't. And so actually, that is not the big deal about it as far as God's concerned, that somehow you, you totally compartmentalise it with rules in, and to make it a weird sort of thing. But it is there. So you don't throw it away either. We've got to work out what do we do. Well, let's go on to the next point. In the New Covenant, generally, things are at a higher level than the Old Covenant. It is a higher way of living. It is a higher way of fulfilling what God really wants in our lives. And there are many examples, but I'll give you one that's rather obvious when you stop and think about it. In the Old Covenant, we're told, you shall not commit adultery. In Jesus' teaching to his disciples, he says, don't even lust in your heart after a woman. You you shouldn't even be thinking of adultery because I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to deal with the lust that is the seed of that adultery. He said in the Old Covenant, it says, don't murder. I'm going to say, don't be angry with your brother. Because the murder that is the fruit of the root of anger and bitterness is going to be dealt with. The envy and the anger that leads to murder will be dealt with in the new covenant. You're going to have new hearts and new spirits. I'm going to get inside. The Holy Spirit, the covenant we're in, is all about the Holy Spirit bringing the Spirit of Jesus, actually, into our lives. It has a focus around Jesus Christ and the outworking through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, that's true of the new covenant as a principle. For example, there's no priesthood in the New Covenant because we're all priests. Male and female, young and old, whether we're physically whole or not whole, all the things that excluded the people, only men of certain age and certain tribe and whole bodies. No, no, that's all gone. We don't have that. We all can have access boldly to the presence of God. How? In and through Jesus Christ. It's, the issue isn't what race are you. Are you male, female? How? how what are you physically like? The issue is... Are you in Jesus or not? Are you coming via Jesus? There is one way to the living God. It's Jesus Christ. It's open to all, but it's only through Jesus Christ. It's gloriously inclusive, but it is exclusive as well, only through Jesus Christ. Now, that's the New Covenant. And in the New Covenant, hear this carefully because I haven't the time to teach it as thoroughly as I'd like to. In the New Covenant... Our whole lives are a Sabbath to God. That is the significant change. Just as you move from don't commit adultery to, don't, to lust being dealt with, the issue is we now have a Sabbath rest in Jesus. We are to rest from our own works and trust only in his work and 24-7 we are to live for Jesus. And if you can't do it on a Monday, you shouldn't do it on a Sunday. If you can't do it on a Sunday, you shouldn't do it on a Thursday. I don't know, I'm mixing the days up. What I mean is, you can't say, I can do this on this day, and, 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 and on that day I shouldn't do it. If you You need to please the Lord 24-7. You don't belong to yourself, your whole life is a Sabbath. He doesn't get one day, he gets seven days of your life. And whether you work in the bank or in the school or whether you're doing what I do, it's irrelevant. You're serving the Lord all of the time. You're slaves to Christ. And, and, you know, everything you do 24 7 has to be, does this please the Lord or not? Lord, Jesus. You are Lord of everything. Now, actually, that isn't oppressive, that is releasing. Don't think I'm saying something oppressive. You live in the grace of God. You walk in the grace of God. You walk in the Spirit. Your whole life is for Him. And in a sense, He is our Sabbath rest. Now, there is a passage in Hebrews that I am not going to turn to because I'd need two mornings to teach into it. It's Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 11. But you can look at it in your own time, you know, get quiet and look at it because it's not an easy passage, But I would say to you that that passage essentially teaches what I have summarised. That our Sabbath rest is found in Christ. That the distinctive of the people of God now is not one day which we boundary off with rules. It's that our whole lives are for God. And we are, as it were, living in a Sabbath. And in actual fact, much of what we're in, the new covenant, has a now and a not yet element which is sometimes a little bit confusing, but it's the fact. So we look for healings now, but one day we'll have a new body and one day there'll be no sickness. And to some extent this is true. We are enjoying our rest in Christ now, but one day we will be in an eternal Sabbath. An eternal time with God. That's what heaven will be. And it's not like an eternal lot of lifts with no buttons or something stupid like that. Don't misunderstand the word Sabbath. The Sabbath word is a blessing. It means an eternity given to God and resting in his presence. It's an eternity resting in the presence of God. It will be a glorious thing. Wonderful, creative and blessing. But it will be like one huge Sabbath eternity. Now we've begun to taste that And we live in that now, and it will work through. So in brief conclusion, because this is quite an important subject and reasonably uh, uh, subtle to make, the points. The redemptive aspects of Sabbath are met for us in Jesus Christ. They're not to do with Egypt. And we rest in him and live for him. So if something doesn't please Jesus, we don't do it whatever day it is, if he's comfortable and pleased with it, we can do it whatever day it is as well. We walk in the Spirit and our whole lives are a Sabbath to God. Therefore, all the legal aspects of the Old Covenant Sabbath have been superseded. That's another point. Jesus is our deliverer and we rejoice and celebrate the great deliverance he's given us with the other people of God. It's a communal thing. The New Testament did that, people of God did that on the Lord's Day, which is setting a principle that we follow. This is our guideline. It is for us. Our New Testament is very prescriptively guiding things for us and therefore it is totally reasonable and right to treat the first day of the week as the Lord's Day when it is an appropriate time to gather with God's people and focus on our great deliverance, which we'll do at the end of this morning, through Jesus Christ. That's what they did, that's what we did. It's not the only time we do it, but it is very appropriate and should not be neglected. Let's move on, that's redemption. We'll try and put the two threads together in the last ten minutes of call now, but I just want to move on to Creation to the creation side. The fourth commandment is also has a creation, a creation level. It is a decree from the creator to us as his created beings. The maker's instructions, if you like. And the maker's instructions tell us this. For healthy, wholesome human living... We need one day in seven that is a rest day. And that rest day is not me time, 21st century blabber. It is time with family, which is very distinctly laid out there. Time with others. I'm not saying me time has not its place, but that is our modern equivalent. Rest means me time. No, it doesn't. Biblical rest has far more to it. It means time with family and friends, time doing good. I'll explore that in a moment and time worshipping God. That is what biblical rest is. It's what you get out of those commandments. You look at them. It's a day to the Lord. It's a holy to the Lord. It's enjoying Him and not working, resting, but doing it not in isolation, but doing it with family and God's community. Now, the precise calculation of which day in seven you do that is actually not as important as probably many a legalistic religious religious person makes it. The fact of the matter is that even ancient Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years and had no real idea what the calendar was when they were released from Egypt. So when they were released from Egypt, it was the beginning, right, from now. And you'll find as you read Exodus that that was a wonderful thing that went on. It was the beginning of their calendar, the beginning. So basically, from now on, this is when the seventh day is. Therefore, it's not unreasonable for us in the New Covenant to, to, not, to re-look, if you like, at this creation principle as the early church possibly did and to begin to look at our celebration of Jesus and of our great deliverance. So I don't think we need to lose any sweat over the fact that by and large there is a sort of focus on the first day of the week which is in the New Testament and which we ha- happily pick up. But really, the creation principle is not particularly tied to just the calendar. It's a principle of proportion, of one in seven, for example. And there are three things that we need to learn from this creation covenant law, as it were, or guideline from God. The right to rest. I'll I'll deal with that in a moment. I'm just going to read the three first. If just that one stays on the screen, thank you. The right to rest, quality time with the family and an opportunity to corporately worship God. Those are three principles that are, if you like, timeless that need to come to us from this commandment. Let's talk about the right to rest quickly. This is rooted in creation. God worked six days and rested on the seventh. If you think you should work seven days, you think you are better than God because God himself... Rested one day in seven. And it is an arrogance and a folly for us to think that we do our normal work. I'm not talking, I'm quite busy at church, we'll get back to that. I'm talking about your normal work. That you do your normal work seven days a week for anything other than a very brief, unusual time is foolish and I would argue defying God. And you will pay for it in your body or in your stress or psychological level. We are meant to take one day in seven completely off from what we normally do. That is a biblical principle. Now, I don't think you have to get legalistic about it, but I do say to you that I believe it's a creation principle and we're foolish to ignore it. And in our modern culture, there is often an attitude that you're quite macho and committed if you do work seven days a week on your particular work. Or business. Workaholic is almost admired. The Bible doesn't admire it. God doesn't admire it. And you're meant to take one day in seven completely off. God expects two things, really. God expects us to work, actually, because God doesn't like idleness either. He hates idleness, it's a curse. If you read the Proverbs, idleness is a curse, not a blessing. He expects us to be mentally and physically active, if you like, most of our week not frenetically, because I'm not saying 24-7, but we should have healthy physical and mental occupation. And if we're out of work, we ought to find voluntary ways of keeping busy and active. That's the creation principle as well. But God also expects us to rest, to take one day in seven as a complete break from what we normally do. And that's linked to the other things. It's an opportunity for something else as well. We are meant to be seeing this day of rest, and this is where we need to get up to speed in our modern culture. We're meant to see it as having other elements. It's not just me time. It's meant to be time with family and community. That's what you pick up through scripture. And so let's move on to the next point, quality time with the family. It is part of the creator's instructions that this rest day is a sort of family day. That's what you can pick up from careful reading of those commandments. Actually, I could get into this, is a big subject and I do find it interesting. Actually, if you look at how Jesus teaches, say from Luke 14, 5, we won't get into this this morning, Luke 13, 16, he commends and, and almost promotes the idea that you do good works on On the Sabbath. He heals people basically. And he challenges them that if you had your donkey in a pit or your son was ill, you'd do something about it. Basically, that would be good. So, acts of kindness and uh, and goodness are to some extent a, a, a good thing to do on this rest day, you could argue. But let's come back to the main thing. It's a family day. Now, we live in 21st century Britain. Now, 21st century Britain used to have a very strong Christian heritage. But in the late 20th century, along with a lot of other things, one thing we did was deregulate Sunday. Now, many Christians struggle with how you handled that because you could seem very legalistic. And how can you impose that on an unsafe person? And I agree with the dilemma. I believe it is a dilemma. But actually, we benefited from our special Sunday. What it did was give us a day when most people didn't have to work, when the schools were closed, the colleges were closed, most workplaces were closed, and so it wasn't too difficult to have time together as a family. We now have a much more of a culture of you take your day off, hyper-individualism again. You have your day off here, I have my day off here, my children have that day off. So we all have our me time, yeah, and our day off, but we don't have a day off when we just can't avoid being together and of course in modern dysfunctional britain we're not quite sure whether we want that but actually that is good for us and those laws that we so lightly dismissed at the end of the 20th century once again would have been a blessing if we'd kept them and they were a blessing more than we realize in fact, by having so much regulation around Sunday, and I'm not advocating this as a thing, it's not my, my main concern, it's the gospel and building the church, but, but it's not the most important thing that went wrong in the late 20th century in Britain, but it's one of a huge raft of things. But what we actually did was got rid of the possibility of a little bit of quietness and togetherness. Because if actually most things are shut, sports, theatres, shops, you have to be a bit quieter. You have to slow up. You have to sort of be together rather than just frenetically rushing around. And that actually was good for us. And the thinking behind that was godly. And we thought, oh, how stupid, how ridiculous. Let's shop, shop, shop. Let's shop, shop, shop. Let's watch football. Let's watch cricket. Let's watch anything. Let's watch movies. Let's go and work if we want to work. Hey, yeah, let's work. It's a 24-7 world. It's a world village. Yeah, idiots. So actually, now, we lose something. Okay? Well, as Christians, we have to try and defend it we have to realise that it is actually sane and sensible to have a day when we're all off together, when we're all able to be with our kids and our family and our friends and particularly our friends within the community of faith. There is a sort of Sabbath principle that is a creation one and it's an advantage to be able to slow down for a day and to be able to be with each other in rather than seven days taking a blur of activity. And we as Christians have really got to stand against The relentless pace of modern life. It's ungodly. Our goals today in our society are basically activity, achievement and acquisition. There's a sermon there, of course, three A's, which you're not going to get. But they are basically activity, achievement and acquisition. And that isn't our values as Christians, is it? The goals of your life are not just to be active, to achieve the most and to acquire the most you can of material possessions. We must live differently. If it requires me to work 24-7 to earn that much money, then I won't have that much money. If it requires me to work 24-7 to be at that position and to achieve that, then I won't achieve it. If it requires me to do that at the cost of my time with God and God's people and family, then so be it. I will settle for a lower level. Because there is a sort of Sabbath principle that God has put into us that we do well to respect. I want you to work hard. I want you to honour Jesus with your work. But I don't want you to just drift with the world because there's a Sabbath principle that it is good. God rested one day, broke the ties with what he was doing, didn't work, didn't do what he does the rest of the time, spent time with Adam and Eve, you could say. Well, we spent time with our family and our Christian friends. We need time to rest. We need time for family. We need time for God. And that's the last point. It's an opportunity to worship God together. Now, this isn't Sabbath but it's wholesome and healthy. The Sabbath was a holy day, a day set apart to honour God. Now, please, can you you hear me now as I gently but firmly want to prod this subject? God actually thought it was best for us to worship him in the company of other believers roughly once in seven days. Not once a month, but once in seven days. Church is not something that goes into the general mix with football and theatre and your other lifestyle and, you know, once every few weeks you manage to make it. That is not thinking biblically. God actually says that it is part of your rest to meet and worship him in the company of other believers. Now, we do struggle with this one and we need to think about it prayerfully. We sometimes have the idea that church somehow gets in the way of my rest and my family time. That is unbiblical thinking. It is family time to come and worship God with your children and your wife and your family. That is family time, brothers and sisters. Don't downgrade it. Upgrade it. I'm not having a go at you. I'm provoking you to think biblically. When Marion and I took our kids to school, no, to church, when Marion and I took our kids to church, that was not against family time that was family time so uh, my attitude in my family when my children are at home is what we do on a Sunday is we go together and worship God sure you might go into another room don't let's get picky but basically, we go together and do this activity because we are a family of the new creation people of God and the new creation of people of God still don't despise the principle of gathering with the other people of God and worshipping their Lord and Saviour and celebrating what Jesus has done for them. That's what we do. And if I miss out after more than one or two in seven, I feel weird. And you can say, oh, that's because you're, you're doing it all your life. Yeah, it probably is. But actually, the idea that I take a break from church is madness. Unless you're backsliding. It's it's madness. You don't take a break. Yeah, you have a holiday. I'm having a holiday. I won't be here for a couple of Sundays at one time in the summer. Don't misunderstand me. But people talk like that to you as a pastor. You think you've got to sort out why you feel like that, but the answer isn't, well, you know, I just sort of chill out and go and sit in my caravan for a month. Not unless you really feel you're seeking God as to what's wrong with you. I mean, I mean that in the nicest way, but it doesn't sound nice. You know, you, you, I mean, you do take time out. That, I want you to realise that is a problem. If you think like that, that is a problem. Now, you may, the problem may be the church a bit. I'm not saying church is perfect, but you just can't just accept feeling like that because it's part of God's thing that we're supposed to find our rest worshipping him in the company of his people. Not the only way we rest. I also like to read the paper, go watch a film, Go for a walk? Of course. I want me time as well. But, but this isn't the same. There is a spiritual principle of rest in coming and worshipping with God's people. Having a, a day of honouring God is not a bad thing, even if it's not a law. And it's certainly part of God's thinking about what we need to make us whole and fully rounded people. We should not see church as a nuisance. If we do, we need to just think, why have I got into this state? Why have I got this state? Now, you may feel it's to do with the church and you may need to address that. But you can't just accept it. You might say, God, why do I feel it's a news?" Because it's not. It's part of a glorious blessing. It's part of God's blessing that you should be free. And in this country, despite the stupidity of the country, we do still have the vestiges of a Christian heritage. We still have the freedom to own the building. We still have a sort of Sunday, and we still have an opportunity to come and gather, and it's an opportunity we should relish. In the early church, people who were slaves fought a pagan society of slavery to gather together on the first day of the week. You can read it several times, again and again through the New Testament. They fought the culture to gather. We need to fight the culture of materialism, individualism, slavery to those things, we fight our pagan culture to take the opportunity to gather with God's people and worship Jesus and celebrate our great deliverance. Amen? That's how we must think. You've got to think like that. You've got to say, well, do if you do it superficially, because John Gross is off on one, then you'll you're, you're not do it right. You need to think about it. So you will, you will... You will give out the let's use a modern phrase. You will give out the right vibes to your kids. Then, you, if your kids think you're just doing it out of law, they won't do it. But if you realise this is it, this is this is what we do, this is how we are, this is what we love to do, and if you mean that, the vibes, if like the Holy Spirit, that will that will be right. Do <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say to you? It's not if it's law, it won't be right. people kick against law. Of course they do. But you need to understand that it is part of God's creation blessing to you that you will be more rested if you regularly gather and worship with God's people and meet Jesus and lift him high and don't think it's a duty, a law or a nuisance. And we have to fight our pagan culture just as much as the early church fought it. I bet it wasn't easy for those slaves to gather on the first day of the week to worship Jesus and break bread as you find repeatedly mentioned. We've got to fight our pagan culture to do the same. Culture's different. As I say, it's materialism, individualism and other isms, but we've got to fight through it so that we keep a day when we can enjoy together the presence of God with our family and with God's people and rejoice in the redemption we had. I want to encourage you that there's a faith element to this. God will bless it and he'll bless you. And you will, even in the difficult times, have a sol- answers will come if you don't ignore God's principle. It's out of God's... Sometimes you might come reluctantly and- to church and you think, oh, I'm free, but I don't know what I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that and I don't like John and all that. Yeah, okay. But somewhere the answer will come. You might come along and think, oh, perhaps I do like him. You know, and God will open your eyes and change it and see how nice I am. Uh, what's that something will happen somehow the answer will come by going God's way do you understand that? it's like when you're in a bad marriage the answer isn't that not go God's way oh I'll find someone else to marry no no somehow the answer comes by going God's way and God's way is a day of rest a day of family and a day of worshipping in community that's how it works and it's not wrong to do good works you run the children's work you help with something that's a good work Jesus said that's a good thing to do Amen. It is right. It's not like a a day where I chill, I don't do anything. No, it's not an inactive day. It's a different day. It's a different day. It's a different day. I have the problem because it blends in with my work. But only a handful of us are like that. It's a different day. And you have to see that's part of the principle. I knew I'd do this. Well, I'm going to stop. Because I think it's an important subject. And I want to worship out of this. You think, how are you going to worship out of this? Well, we're going to celebrate on the Lord's Day Ah, oh, come on, I'll read you something. I'll get you, I'll get you to worship. And we're going to celebrate on the Lord's Day and we're going to rejoice in our Lord Jesus. Let the musicians come up. Just listen to John 20. Just listen to what I'm going to read to you. This is John's Gospel. Just listen to it. This is, get. you know, just let your spirit hear it, okay? John 20. Early on the first day of the week, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Now, I haven't time to read it all, but she goes through agonies and then she's this the figure behind her and she thinks he's the gardener. And she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him, I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni! which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told him that she had, he had said these things to her. Next verse. On the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands, his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. Whew, glorious. Now Thomas, being stupid of course, Thomas was not there with the disciples when Jesus came. But another verse in the same chapter. A week later, in other words, the first day of the week, but a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. It's a day to meet Jesus together. Thomas seemed to have to be with the disciples to meet Jesus in that unique way. It was on that first day of the week when he came and gathered, Jesus revealed himself to him. They saw Jesus. My Lord, my God. It's not about rules. It's about celebrating Jesus. He is our Sabbath rest. I've rested from my own works. There's No works I can do. It's all in him. But I'm still going to celebrate him. And I'm going to enjoy it in the company of others who know him and love him. Amen?